Christ's name I pray. Amen. One of my favorite movies is uh, the old Jimmy Stewart movie, It's a Wonderful Life. In that movie, George Bailey is going through uh, much difficulty and discouragement from what appears to be financial ruin, and he wishes that he had never been born. And an angel is sent to earth in that movie to make George's wish come true. And it, it, as it, it is, is as if George has never been born. And as he lives that out, he realizes how many lives he has impacted and just how different and dark and devastated life in his community of Bedford Falls would be if he had never been born. It's a decent movie, but it's only a movie. Let me ask you another question. What if Jesus Christ never came out of the grave? What if Sunday had never come? Just how different, dark, and devastated would our world be? Would you be? What would I be? Well, in fact, many believe that the resurrection miracle didn't really happen. But it's a, it's a good story. It makes for some good songs. It's very motivational, very inspirational. But it's not historical. Please take your Bibles. If you have a copy of the Bible with you, or maybe there's a Bible in the pew back in front of you, or you can find it on your phone, and even in the bulletin, the passage is there. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have a pew Bible, that's page 1,152. 1 Corinthians 15, I want you to find verse 12, page 1,152. Paul is writing in this letter to some individuals in the church of Corinth who denied the real, physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Let's pick it up in verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And what if Jesus has never been raised? Well, he goes on to answer that question, Paul does. Verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of, of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, 
whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. Paul, in this passage, gives us six devastating outcomes if Christ has not been raised out of the grave. Six devastating outcomes. Number one, the gospel message is vain if Christ has not been raised. Look at verse 13 again. If there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Paul and the other apostles preached the gospel. What is the gospel? The the word gospel means good news. The gospel is good news that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has saved his people from their sins forever. Look at verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 15 and how important the gospel was to Paul. Paul writes, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And here's the gospel in verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and that And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So that's the gospel. Christ died for our sins. He was buried, and his sacrifice for sins was effective and God was pleased and God raised him up from the dead. This is the gospel that Paul preached. And and verse 11 says, then whether it was I that preached it or they, other apostles or preachers, so we preach and so you believe. But Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, this gospel preaching is vain. That word vain means empty. It means empty. Preaching the gospel then, Paul is saying if Christ hasn't been raised, is a waste of breath. Empty words. No reality to it. No truth. A myth. A mirage. As one has said, 
If Christ has not been raised, the gospel would be as useless as a screen door on a submarine. If Christ has not been raised, then the apostles and we in this church preach hope in the, as one scholar said, quotes, the decomposing corpse of an itinerant Jewish carpenter turned rabbi, end quotes. If Christ has not been raised, first, gospel preaching is vain. Secondly, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. Verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is vain. Look at verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. So if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is described as vain and worthless in verses 14 and 17. We know what vain means. It means empty. We just defined it. That means you're believing a fairy tale. You're putting your faith in a dead man, and a dead man can't save you. It means you won't receive anything. You can't expect anything. He's dead. So your faith is empty. That is, it's void of content. If anything, it's just faith and faith, which isn't going to get you home. But there's more. Verse 17 says your faith is also worthless if Christ has not been raised. That's a different word than vain. That word translated worthless means without effect. Without effect. In other words, if Christ has not been raised, your faith in Christ does not do what it's supposed to do. Let me give you an illustration. Listen, uh, Andrew, I think his birthday's coming up in a couple of weeks. It's going to be 12. Now, imagine you receive a gift for your birthday. It, you open up the package. It's nicely wrapped. It looks really good. You open it up, and the box is empty. That's vain faith. On the other hand, you open up the present, you open it up, and there's a smartphone in there. But you turn it on, and it doesn't turn on. It doesn't work. It's useless. It's not effective. It's worthless. You see the difference between those two words. If Christ has not risen, then it's empty, and it will not do what it's supposed to do. Your faith is worthless. Faith in Christ will not save you if Christ has not risen from the grave. So, Abraham's faith was worthless. He believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. No, it was worthless. Enoch didn't really walk with God. It was a hoax. Noah was really a fool because he spent 120 years believing and therefore building a boat. His faith was worthless. Name them all, Jacob and Isaac and Rebekah and Joshua and Caleb and Moses and Gideon and Samuel and Elijah and Daniel in that lion's den. If Christ has not been raised, their faith is worthless and void. And you know what? My faith, your faith is worthless as well. 
If Christ has not been raised, stop this service. What are we wasting our time for and all of this energy? Go to Easter brunch. Go now. Stop wasting your time. So if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. Third, Paul really piles it on. If Christ has not been raised, then, number three, the apostles are liars. Look at verse 15. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God, Paul writes, because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. So the we here in verse 15 are the apostles who who preached uh, during the foundation of the church. And he says, if Christ has not been raised, then the apostles are false witnesses. The apostles are liars. People can say, and they do this. I've heard them say this. You know what? Don't worry about that. The apostles meant well with this whole story. They had good intentions. They just wanted Jesus to be alive so badly that they imagined it. But they were sincere. They said many good things in the New Testament. No, the apostles would be liars and lunatics if Christ had not been raised. And we as the church are supposed to be devoted to apostolic teaching, according to the book of Acts. The teaching of liars. MacArthur notes that the apostles were gospel preachers. Yes, they were, but they were preachers of the resurrection. Yes, they were, but they were also the authors of the New Testament, the Bible. And if they lied about the resurrection, why not everything else? How could we trust the New Testament? And what about the Old Testament? If Christ has not been raised, then that's a lie too. Look at verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 15. And that, here's the gospel, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus was raised from the dead according to the Old Testament scriptures. The Old Testament scriptures prophesy that the Messiah would die and that he would rise, but if the resurrection didn't happen, then the Old Testament prophecies are false. The writers of the New Testament are liars. The writers of the Old Testament are false witnesses. It's all one big lie. The whole Bible begins to disintegrate before our eyes if Christ has not been raised. It gets worse and more significant for each of us. Number four, if Christ has not been raised, all believers are still in their sin. Verse 17. All believers are still in their sin. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you are still in your sins. Since your faith is worthless, it does not do what it promises. It's not effective to save from sin. And so we are still in our sins. Now, oh, the sin word again. We've got to define this word sin. So listen carefully and quickly. Sin. Paul doesn't even debate sin. Not in this, not at all. Neither can you, neither can me. Sin is disobeying God's commands in word, 
in thought or in deed. The word sin means missing the mark. Anybody shot arrows before? Over at your house. We have a target, the center of the target, the bullseye. That's what God demands, that we nail that target with that arrow, that we are perfectly holy and we are perfect. And we take aim at that. Some of us religious people, we take aim and we fire. The problem is, is that is about three miles away and the arrow falls about 30 yards short into the ground. We can't even get close to the target. But the reality is the target of God's holiness and perfection is over there. And we miss the mark. You know what most of us are doing? We got our own target that's opposite of God, and we're playing around, and we aren't even shooting at his target. That is sin. Sin is rebelling. It's going our own way. We're not even shooting at the target. Let me give you some examples about missing the mark. The Bible says, do not bear false witness, and we have told lies. The Bible says, do not take the Lord's name in vain. And are you kidding me? The awful things that come out of our mouths? The Bible says, do not steal, and we have stolen. Jesus says, if you're angry with your brother, you are guilty of murder in your heart. Anybody ever get angry? Jesus said, everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. How are you doing with your phones? And notice that sin is not just breaking God's laws with our mouth or hands. Skin isn't just skin deep. We're not like one big diamond, really pure, right? A pure diamond on the inside with a little bit of mud smeared on the outside. No, sin is not just outward actions, but inward attitudes. The Bible says in Jeremiah, the heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So, The problem is really not external. The problem is our hearts. We desire the wrong things. We love the wrong things. We love self way more than we love God. And we prove it by disobeying God's will whenever it doesn't match our will. And doing what we want to do. In the gospel accounts, Jesus tells a lawyer that the two greatest commands from God are first to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. Who has done that? Therefore, Paul is right in Romans 3.23, for we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. And death, according to the Bible, You can call it lots of different things, but the best word for death is separation. Man separated from his creator, separated from God. As Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, but your iniquities, which is another name for sin, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sin will separate you from God in this life spiritually, and your sin will separate you from God physically for all eternity in a place the Bible calls hell. Here's why I'm doing this. It's not good to still be in your sin. It's not good. You say, I thought this God that I'm here to sing about was loving for crying out loud. 
He is, but he's also perfectly just and perfectly righteous. He can't just sweep it under the rug. He can't just overlook our sin and our actions and our law-breaking. If he is good, if he is the perfectly good judge of all the earth, then he must punish his broken law wherever he finds it. I mean, what kind of a judge, a good judge, lets true lawbreakers go off the hook? That's a bad judge. And the Bible says of our God, your eyes are too pure to look upon evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. God is the one who is perfect. He cannot set an imperfect standard of righteousness. He can't say, "Ah, let's set the bar here so that you can. No, he can't set the bar lower than perfection. He's God. And so Ezekiel 18 verse 20 says that a person that sins must die. Here's the deal. Our sin will kill us forever. That is what Paul means at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. The sting of death is sin. And here's the deal. If Christ has not been raised, our sins are not removed. Our sins still surround us, indwell us. Our sins still accuse us. Our sins envelop us, consume us. If Christ has not been raised, you are still in your sin. And you're going to be separated forever from the presence of God in a place called Gehenna. But people on the street call it hell. What if Jesus is still rotting in the grave? Well, then he did not conquer your sin. Either because Christ himself was a sinner or he wasn't God and couldn't do it in six hours. One way or the other, apparently our sin got the best of him if Jesus has not risen from the grave. Apparently, if he does not rise, he was not the unblemished lamb that we thought that, we thought that he was. We are still in our sins if Christ has not risen from the grave. Fifth, if Christ did not rise from the dead, and this naturally follows, and I'm going here because Paul went here. Number five, if Christ did not rise from the dead, then dead believers, then dead believers are suffering in hell. If Christ did not rise from the grave, then dead believers are suffering in hell. That's what he says in verse 18. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. This word for perished isn't physical perishing. This is the word for eternal death under the wrath of God for sin. And falling asleep isn't a nap. Falling asleep is a biblical metaphor for death. And only those who are said to have fallen asleep are believers. Those who believe, it's a nice way of saying it, have fallen asleep in Christ. No, think about that. Isn't that our hope? The believers, we've fallen asleep in Christ. Now, we've fallen asleep. We've trusted in Christ. He is enough for us. He's paid for all of my sins. His righteousness, his righteousness is 
over me as a cloak. It's enough for me. I don't need to earn it. He has earned it. He has paid it all. He's sufficient. He's enough. I'm complete in thee, Jesus. But then you pass into death. And you find yourself perishing, waking up in the flame. Waking up in hell. If Christ has not been raised, those who have believed in Christ are suffering for sin. Thinking they're safe in Christ, they fell asleep in Christ, but they're suffering eternally for sin if Christ has not been raised. Moses, hell. David, hell. Abraham's in hell. Peter, James, and John are suffering in hell. Luther is there. Name your favorite theologian. Calvin is there. Spurgeon is there. If Christ did not rise from the dead, then those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, the text says, have perished. And sixth, and finally, if Christ has not been raised, then live believers are suffering for nothing. Then live believers are suffering for nothing. Look at verse 19. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we of all men are most to be pitied. It's pathetic if Christ has not been raised. I mean, look at poor Paul. Here's Paul's ministry. Are you ready? I'll read it in 2 Corinthians 13, 23. Just listen. Here's Paul's ministry. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And all of that's nothing and he says, apart from such external things, there is the internal thing, the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Sounds like Paul's life in this world was a real blast. Now, I'll tell you what it was. If Christ has not been raised, it's pathetic. It's pitiful to waste your life like that. You should pity me, Paul says. In fact, if you can find it quickly, look at verse 31, right in 1 Corinthians 15, if you have it. Look at verse 31. Paul writes, I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. Verse 32, if from human motives I have fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? For if the dead are not raised... Here's what we should be doing. And this is frankly what the world is doing. And some days what we'd like to do when we forget. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If Christ has not been raised. And you and me. 
misunderstood and rejected by your family members, rejected because of the gospel. Going against the flow of this culture, standing and losing friends, looking stupid, pitiful to lose that promotion, pitiful, pathetic if Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, we should pity that 12-year-old Syrian Christian boy who refused to convert to Islam and ISIS cut off his fingers. And when the boy refused to recant, 12 believers who surrounded him, some of his own family, were killed, many calling out the name Jesus as their heads were separated from their bodies. If Christ has not been raised... Of all men, most to be pitied. Pathetic, pitiful Christians fed to the lions in Rome, chopped up by the gladiators. Huss, burned at the stake for a lie. Peter, crucified upside down for vanity. If Christ has not been raised, then believers are suffering for nothing. And we, of all men, are most to be pitied. If Christ, now, if Christ has not been raised, you say, what's the importance of the resurrection? What's the big deal? If Christ has not been raised, the message is vain, our faith is worthless, the apostles are liars, all believers are still in sin, dead believers are suffering in hell, and live believers are suffering for nothing. Listen carefully. Without the resurrection, the gospel is not good news. What if Sunday never came? Despair would make sense. Addiction would make sense. Hopelessness would make sense. Trafficking would make sense. But Saturday is over. Sunday has come. And are you not glad that Paul does not stop in verse 19? But now, Christ has been raised from the dead. I like what the ESV says, but in fact, that's a great translation, but in fact, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The resurrection is a fact. It's predicted in the Old Testament. Jesus told the disciples that he'd rise again. He predicted it. Jesus really did die. He was speared to death, and out of his heart flowed blood and water. It's a fact because his tomb was empty and no body was there but the grave clothes that were stuck to his body and could never have been removed were there all folded up and in place. It's a fact because alternative explanations for that empty tomb are inadequate, they're even insane. It's a fact because the testimony of non-believers 
including his enemies, was that sure enough, he rose from the dead. It's a fact because we believe in the resurrection because his resurrection radically changed the lives of his followers in the early church and is still changing lives today. It's a fact because the existence of the church cannot otherwise be explained without the resurrection. Listen to this scholar. Listen carefully. Quotes, how could the defeat and death of Jesus give rise to the spontaneous emergence and almost explosive propagation of the message and community of the very name of its defeated leader? Paul knew beyond any doubt that Jesus was alive. Look at verse 3. Here's the evidence that Paul's gives. Look again at verse 3. Let's rehearse the gospel again. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Watch this. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. He says, most of whom remain until now. They're not dead. Go ask them. Go ask them. They're still alive. But some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, and you remember on the road to Damascus, as one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Paul says, hey, I saw him. I saw him. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. The guarantee, the first installment, the first fruits of a great harvest. We're the harvest, the first fruits of resurrection to follow. And since Jesus is, in fact, alive, the gospel message is true. Our faith is well founded. The apostles spoke with divine truth, and we can trust the book. We are not in our sin. Those believers who have died in Christ are alive and well in the presence of Christ. And do not pity us. <laughs> oh, no. Do not pity me. We're okay. We're set. Because of the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. On the cross, why do I say the death and resurrection? Let's tie it together. On the cross... On the cross, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, the spotless lamb, on the cross, the just punisher. Remember, the just judge is going to punish sin and he's going to do it right. And yet you live. How is that? Because the just punishment of everyone of the sins of everyone who would ever believe, every single one of them, the just punishment was placed and pounded upon Jesus instead of you. He was condemned instead of you. 
He was punished instead of you. He was abandoned in the darkness instead of you. You see, at the very end, upon the cross of Calvary, after the three hours of darkness, Jesus said, it is finished. And then with a loud cry, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. And about that time, the earth began to shake. And the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, symbolizing that sin would no longer separate us from the intimate presence of God. But the thing is, Jesus was dead, really dead. The question is, was it really finished? And heaven waited for three days. I just don't think there was wind blowing on that Saturday. I think it was silent. We'll see. The earth held her breath. But on the first day of the week, Luke 24, at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, for he has risen. For it was impossible... For death to hold Jesus. You know why? Because he was God. Do you know why? Because he actually did drink the full wrath for all of our sins in six hours. Because it actually was finished. Because Jesus took the scorpion of death upon the cross of Calvary. He grabbed it by the tail. He grabbed the stinger and he ripped it out. You can cuddle with death. Death is not your enemy. Yes, death is a little ugly, but death will not stop you from getting home. He's killed it. Christ's death has killed your death and that forever. And that's what the resurrection of Christ did. Jesus Christ in the resurrection proved that your debt of sin was paid in full, that death was defeated. That, that the devil's head was crushed. That he cannot harm you eternally. Yes, he's angry, but he cannot harm you eternally. The resurrection is proof of your purchase. The resurrection is receipt of your redemption. And so in light of that, we think of Paul in Romans chapter 8. And I mean this. Believer, who is the one to condemn you? Who is the one to condemn you? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, more than that, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. You have to understand that we have, we have hoped in Christ, that we are united to Christ, 
that his death has removed all of our sins and taken them as far as the east is from the west. But that is not all. In Christ, his righteousness is now ours. We have his righteousness. There is a man in heaven. He is raised and he is seated there. And he is alive and he is the same. And he calls out for all to believe in him. And if you trust in Christ, you are tethered to the living Christ. He is there. He is seated. If he has made it home, you will make it home too. If Christ has been raised, let me tell you, death will not have the last word for you. That's why you can trash talk death. Like Paul did at the end of verse of 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 53. Look at it. How can he be so confident? Look at, look at us. We're pathetic. Look at our sin, our shame, our failures. For this perishable, verse 53, must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, what does that mean for you? Look at verse 58. Keep reading. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Perhaps your heart this morning, you were like I was when I was 27, sick of it all. Got one thing, I don't agree with much of it, but I got one thing right, it's vain. Perhaps you're there. You long for something more than simply the next pleasure or the next selfish indulgence. Why do you long for something more? Because God created you in his image. Eternity is written on your heart. He's wired you for it. He has wired you for eternity. You know that this little vapor isn't everything. You know it. You lose sleep over it. If you're wired, if you want more than a small story, something much more than eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die... If you want more than that, what will you do today? If the resurrection is true, if Jesus is alive, what if you refuse to turn from your own sin and believe in Christ? Here's the deal. You will either die in your sin or you will die in Christ. That's it. But you, do not have, you don't have to die in your sins. And so we preach, and I'm praying, and so you believed. You must believe. What do I mean? 
I mean, you have to admit that you have sinned. That when we talked about sin, you're like, yep, you have to admit it. Turn from that and your own self-salvation project of trying to be good enough to please God in your own efforts. Turn from all of that, throw it in a pile, a pile of trash, and turn to Jesus and just trust him. Trust him, rest in him, settle on him, trust him. Confess your need of him. Believe that Jesus died and rose for you. And I'm telling you, the Bible says in Romans 10, something incredible. It says in Romans 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, are you ready for the next words? Are you ready? You will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. In other words, your faith won't be vain. Your faith won't be worthless. Why? For now, Christ has risen from the dead.